You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I invite you to take your scriptures and turn to the book of Mark. We're in a new chapter, 14. Yay, we're moving along. Chapter 14, we're in verse 1. And um, we are going to get to the end, but uh, it's going to take me a little while. So Mark 14, we're going to be reading 1 through 9. We've got a picture of the week. Hannah actually turned in this picture for uh, this picture this week. So uh, there it is. <laughs> so, anyway. Yes, we are, um, for some of you, and I would maybe be like, I haven't caught on to this. Uh, <laughs> that's inside her. So we're just praising the Lord for a new birth. So, uh, Wow. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That was fitting. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, yes. There's other things going on, right? Yeah, yes. We have part partners to go through this together. So, um, we're just we are excited, and we're glad George is back home. And we thought we'd wait to share with them till he got back home, and. Uh, so we're growing and we're welcoming this little one. What a what a blessing! So even though we're a bit older than we used to be, and uh, God will God will provide. So we're just praising Him for this and thankful for that. So I think March is March is somewhere in March 13th or whatever is the due date. And uh, we appreciate your prayers as we go along and prayers from Molly as well and Dustin and um, in this. So yeah. Um, all right, having said that, I want to, let's hear God's word to us. We need it every day, so let's, let's read it here and then trust what we will learn about growing towards Jesus through it. So, we're in Mark 14, we're in verse 1, I'll read through verse 9 today. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Let me pray again for our time. Lord, we thank you again for your word. It's timeless truth, Lord, without error. Uh, Through the ages, Lord, you've preserved it. And now we, in 2018, 
August 12, get to come and hear from it again. We pray, Lord, as we've thought about Your Spirit this morning, that Your Spirit would illuminate us to understand what You've spoken. Lord, what words I will say, again, we pray if there be error, Lord, that that not be heard, that that not be spoken, but the truths of Your Word, the truths of who You are, and Your greatness and Your majesty, our need to worship You, Lord, would, would come through clearly. So we just pray, again, You'd guide this time. And Lord, I pray that for all of us, we'd not go out of here unchanged. If there's something different we need to be doing or something we need to be believing or, or a heart change that needs to take place, that You would do it, Lord, by Your Spirit. And we just ask this again in the name of Jesus. Amen. Perhaps you've said this to someone before. Maybe your own kids or your husband or wife or a friend. You ever said to them, hey, don't spend money on that. That's, that's a waste of money. I wouldn't spend that. That's a waste of, of money. Um, maybe those seeking to live a more healthy lifestyle, you would see maybe some children purchasing sugary type candy or pop and say, that's a waste of money. And maybe some of you would say it's better spent on green vegetables, something like that. Uh, you get the idea. Maybe you're into cars and tools and some of us would go to Dollar Tree for a new screwdriver. Some of us would, would go to uh, Snap-on, right, for the good tool. And you would say, don't waste your money on that, that cheap right, junk from foreign countries. Get the, get the good stuff. You'd say, don't waste your money. To some, what looks like a waste is to others spending money on what's valuable, uh, the purchase, that purchase where even maybe you've said before, that was the best money I've ever spent. Right? You ever have those where you say, I would spend that again. I just was saying that this week to Hannah about some of that. That's the best money I think I've spent. <clears throat> Today, where we're at in this passage is a front row seat to a woman who has spent her money in the best way she ever could. Though to most around her, as we've read, it looked like a complete waste of money. We're going to get back into the story, but first Mark here in the first two verses gives us some context for really a larger account uh, as we look towards this woman. So there's this woman anointing Jesus. We're going to look at that, but Mark inserts these two verses here in 14, um, and I think for a purpose. So look at 14, 1 and 2. Again, it says, It was two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. There's chief priests, the scribes, they were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. This was going to be the celebration of the Jewish people. It's kind of like, I mean, we think of celebrations like our Christmas, New Year's week, right? We prepare for that. There's this preparation. Families come together, all these sorts of things. I think this had that same, if not more, connotation to the Passover and this Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was a big deal of what was happening. Jews from all over descending on Jerusalem to remember this feast, commemorate this Passover. Uh, Remember back in Exodus where on the houses of the Israelites, uh, years before, some 1,500 years probably before this time, they would sacrifice the lamb, put the blood on the door, and death would pass over them while they were in slavery in Egypt. And then God brought them out of that. And so this celebration is a celebration of that time. 
Next week, we're going to look a little deeper into the Passover and this celebration, eventually where the Lamb of God, Jesus, would come to shed His blood for the forgiveness of sins on the cross. But I want to look a little bit at the chronologicalness or chronology of what's going on here um, as we look at various things. You'll notice in the first couple words of verse 1, it says it was two days before the Passover. And then, if you're a careful student of the Bible, if you know other places, this story of the woman anointing Jesus comes up in other gospel accounts. It comes up in Matthew, comes up in John, particular John chapter 12. Mark and Matthew make it seem like it's two days, and then this woman's anointed. But if you were reading through John chapter 12, it says it was six days before the Passover where this woman was anointed. For some of you, this may not bother you, but if you're reading through and you go, well, does the Bible have contradiction in it? Is this a problem as I'm reading through? And, and um, I bring this out not to um, just bring out problems, but I want to help us um, think through challenges because we face them as we read through the Word and they're real challenges. So I want to think a little bit briefly with you. So I want you to look at just John 12. It's just a little skip over. Look at John 12, a little bit to the right, chapter 12, you'll find in uh, verse 1 there as well, you're going to see kind of the same event listed, but six days instead of two. Uh, John 12, 1 says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served Lazarus, and, and you see Mary then, verse 3, taking a pound of ointment from pure nard and anointing feet and hair uh, of Je- uh, feet and head of Jesus uh, or feet here with his with her hair. I'm sorry. See the same account going on. And you go, is it? What is it? Is it two days or six? And if you try to look up commentators, some are two, some are six, and some will have reasons for why it's not really six and why it's not really two and this and so, uh, so forth. Let me just give us a little bit of help, not to look really in-depth, but just, just a little bit of thought on this. Um, there is an account, just so you're aware, you're going to read through Luke and you're going to find another account. It's chapter 7 of a woman anointing with hair, uh, anointing Jesus, a, a sinner. I believe that to be a different account. It's not the same. It's gonna, there's some things that sound the same with alabaster jars, that sort of thing. Don't believe that's the same thing, but that's in Luke 7. You can look it up later. Um, I think the fact is, Mark, where we're at, John, Matthew, you could say none of them exactly tell us when this dinner was. Okay? Um, you know, Mark, John says six, but you can, there's a way, and commentators do it, you can separate that sentence from the rest of it and say, well, six days. And then sometime later, there was this meal, or, or Mark here, it's kind of separated, or two days before the Passover. And then there's this while he was at Bethany, this, this deal going on here. My leaning is towards John as being the most chronologically correct, that, that I think this meal was six days before Passover, probably on the, um, I think the night of the Sabbath would be. Um, that's my leaning towards that, and some commentators lean that way, some the other. Let me try to point that out by coming back to Mark again, Mark 14. Thinking of how Mark does it. Do you remember sandwiches of Mark? Do you remember he, we talked about this before? He makes sandwiches where he'll put different things in placement around other things. 
These writers, I don't think they were as concerned as we are. We like biographies and we like them to be like in order. That was not, I don't believe, the intent of Mark here. The intent is telling a story. And so if you look at what you've got, you've got these chief priests, scribes, these leaders seeking to, by stealth, kill Jesus. That's going on. Um, and then you've got this woman as well, this woman anointing Jesus. And so we might ask, what's the main message here of verses 1 and 2? So yes, I believe two days before, these scribes were seeking to arrest and kill Jesus. Um, he's got an authority. He's a threat to their authority. He's blaf- blasphemous, uh, claimed to be son of God. He's called them out on their leadership, and they're seeking to kill him. And they don't want to, though. His popularity is quite high here. So you do it out in the open, you're going to have an uproar. The Romans are going to uh, uh, come down hard on you for that. But yet, as I said, in this next section, we're going to read about this woman with the alabaster jar that pours it out on Jesus. You have a contrast going on. And I think that's why Mark puts this here. It's not to necessarily say, here it's two days and this is all here. But I think he's, he's putting up this woman against these that would, would desire to kill and not worship Jesus. It's kind of a backdrop for this woman who spent it all to worship Jesus. And then it kind of comes back, if you read further in verse 10, about Judas again and, and his betraying Jesus. And so you've got this account of this woman in the midst of this betrayal, stealth, death sort of idea. And I think that's what Mark is interested in narratively putting before us. Um, I'll let you read more in depth to cover more of that. But just to say... As we come up to these seeming, and I say seeming because there's others in here that you can look at and say, that's a contradiction. It helps us be prepared for those out there that say, well, what about Mark 14? It says 2, and John says 6, and at least you know, you can give a little bit of background. Say, well, maybe this, maybe that. Help them out. Well, that said, with that context of these that would not worship, we enter this house in Bethany, And we watch really a front row seat at a beautiful story being told here. Verse 3 says, While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now, it's helpful as we look at John's account where you were in chapter 12 of John. We learn that here Lazarus, is here, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Martha's here. Mary is here. And Mary, in fact, is the one uh, that's doing this, this pouring. So this woman, though, in Mark, she's not named. In John, she is named. Seems to be the house of Simon, Simon the leper. How he's related to Lazarus, Martha, Mary. I'm not sure. We'll just leave that up to, we're unsure. But they're reclining at the table. Probably kind of that idea of, of maybe laying down, not, not seated like we would sit, but kind of laying down with maybe your, maybe your hands on the floor like this and eating off maybe a lower type table, something like that. You've seen some of that before. They're reclining around this table while they eat. And in the midst of this meal, here this woman comes. John, again, tells us it's Mary, which, as I read, one commentator talked, said, This is not proper etiquette, right, for a woman to interrupt this meal. This is not proper, and yet she interrupts. So already, 
thinking, we read, some of these are indignant with her. Already she's interrupted. So already she's kind of behind here. Uh, you know, she's got this against her. But then we see her pouring this, this ointment, this pure nard from this alabaster box. If you're reading the King James, it talks about a box or a flask, kind of a marble-like uh, jar of sorts that contained uh, spike nard or pure nard. Um, if you're into essential oils, you may have some of this. I don't know. Maybe you have it and can bring it in so we can smell what this maybe would have uh, smelled like. Uh, you can purchase it online. Can't you get everything today? You know, so you can actually look this up, and I think it's called Mary's Ointment or something, and you can actually find it. Uh, so anyway, I didn't buy that for us all to smell today, but uh, you can get a, get a smell of what that's like. What we do learn from, from here is it's expensive. It's very costly. That's what the text tells us. It was pure. It was expensive. Uh, somehow this jar had to be broken. Um, so somehow it was stored airtight until the time was just right. Um, its value increasing over the years. Uh, one commentator talks it's probably a family heirloom. Um, smashing the jar, as he talks about, means the vessel could never be really used again. So once you break it open, it's, it's used. You might as well just pour it all out. This is a costly gift that this woman is pouring over Jesus' head. And it's poured out. John 12 talks about it being poured on his feet. I think you could combine them and say it's being poured feet and head wiped with her hair. Wherever it's poured, head or feet, this aroma is spreading uh, through this room. You know, you think of air freshener. A good air freshener will permeate the room. And so here's this this smell coming throughout. And it's here where, again, we meet our next set of characters. Though they're unnamed here in Mark, Matthew's account, it's chapter 26 of Matthew, tells us it's Jesus' own disciples. Even specifically, I think it's in John, tells us it's Judas here that does some speaking. Um, Regardless, it's disciples here that are seeing this happen So it's an inside group. This is not an outside group. This is the insider group with Jesus. Presumably those that should know the value and worth of Jesus before them. And yet they begin to cry out against this wastefulness. It's in verses 4 and 5. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Here we have, again, some of the followers of Jesus. They're watching this, and their reasoning, which to them probably sounded pretty upright, pretty pious, pretty good. Right, instead of wasting this, you could sell this money, and it would have gone much farther to help the poor. Uh, Some of your Bibles will tell you 300 denarii, somewhere around... If a denarii, one of them is a day's wage, we're talking 300 wages, day, 300 of days wage. It's a lot of money. It's worth a lot. And they were indignant about this. They're mad. Uh, one place had said the idea of these nostrils flaring. Like, what a waste. How could you waste this when it could be spent on the poor? 
The question for us as we think about these disciples and this question, and I think it's, even in the Greek, it's pointed out, this, this why was the ointment wasted like that, I think brings special attention to that phrase. It's a big part of why they're so mad. It was, looked like a waste. And we want to ask, where was their heart at? What was going on inside? What was their biggest concern? I, I don't think they were concerned about the poor. I'm thinking. I think they saw the value of the nard. They saw this expensive and, and perhaps, we don't know their hearts totally, maybe they were concerned for the poor, but they saw this value as more valuable. So try to think through that this ointment, this jar, what was poured out, they're looking at, they're mad that this was wasted. But they're not seeing the value of the one before them, the Son of God, Jesus. You see kind of the, the, the different skew of their heart here? Rather than seeing their, the value of Jesus, their eyes were on this physical ointment and its great cost and what a waste for the poor. But I believe this woman had eyes to see something way, someone way more valuable. So verse 6, Jesus steps in. He defends this woman. He says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. He defends this woman whom all the eyes of the room almost had daggers, right, pointed towards him, this wasteful one. And Jesus stands up. He states uh, that what she has done is beautiful. So again, what looks like a waste to some, to the disciples, is not so with the Master. I, I think Jesus saw the heart of the worship of this one before him, this woman. And so this one character here in our story really stands out especially against the backdrop of the chief priests and scribes who want to kill him. But then even those closer in, those inside that, that should know, they should know the value of, well, yes, of course you should pour it over him. He told us three times he's going to die and be buried. They, didn't, they just weren't there. Somehow she was. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but he defends her. Verse 7 through 8, he continues, For you always have the poor with you whenever you want. You can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Even such good intentions of serving the poor must find their place in valuing and worshiping Jesus Above all. Now, I don't think here Jesus is saying, He's not saying don't care for the poor, right? He's not saying that. But He's saying what this woman has done, what she's seen, she's seen what is most valuable. I think, even, I believe, even to serve the poor well, we must first value and worship Jesus above all else and then let that inform our serving of the poor. I mean, we can go out to serve the poor, which we should be doing, and serve the downcast and the trod and the orphans, the widows, all these things. But if we just give them an earthly type hope, just an earthly morsel of food, which we should do, but we don't give them Jesus, we've not given them eternal life. We've just given them a good life till they die and end up in hell, away from the Lord. So this worship of Jesus, this value of Jesus, should inform our giving even to the poor, ministry to the poor, the needy, that sort of thing. 
one commentator I've quoted before, James Edwards, says this, concerning the value of Jesus to this woman. I think it's worth repeating here. He says, the value of a gift signals the value of the person to whom it is given. I'll read it one more time. The value of a gift. So the value that you're giving, this, for in this case, this woman, this alabaster, 300 denarii worth, expensive jar of ointment, Pour down on Jesus, the value of a gift signals the value of the person to whom it is given. And again, the disciples seem not to see the value of the one who is reclined before them. They just see this woman wasting valuable things before them that could be given to the poor. I have time to share this story about value and its uh, value towards others. And I've shared this with some of you, and I recognize that in the years here, as your pastor, you will hear stories over again. So if you've heard it before, just kind of go like that. You can laugh at the appropriate time if you need to. Um, I was, um, we were living in Kansas at the time, and a friend of mine, who I won't name because this does go over the, uh, out on the Internet, but um, he, was, he was a good friend. And he was dating a girl at the time, perhaps close to, uh, maybe proposing or something, he had gotten her this wonderful bouquet of flowers. But before he could give her the flowers, they ended up breaking up. And the good friend that he is said, Hey, Mike, I got these flowers. Do you want them? You can give them to Hannah. We were married at the, uh, at the time. Still are. And uh, uh, <laughs> anyway, sure, I'm thrifty. That's a good deal, isn't it? Free flowers, big, big bouquet, like it's going to make me look really good. And so I took them home and I gave them to her. You know, I was like, these are for me. And they were because I took them home. And I just couldn't, my conscience just got to me. And I just could, I couldn't live with it because she was thinking here I had gotten her these beautiful flowers. And I ended up just saying, and some of you will say, you should have never mentioned that, but I did. I said, Hannah, I'm sorry. I didn't buy these. I was given them by my friend and I gave them to you. And it, it really did hurt her. You ladies understand why. I, it, right? I, I did not value... See, the, there's value, which now, anytime I give her a flower, I will say, I purchased this. I bought it with my own money. So, <laughs> most times. But... Um, so don't give me your used flowers to give to my wife, but anyway, you can just give it, yeah. But it shows the value. So spending money, had I spent that money on that base and said, here, what does that show about Hannah? I value you enough to spend a lot of money to get flowers that men we know will wilt in just a couple days, right? But, but to give, because there's, I see you as valuable. That's what this woman, Mary, Seas of Jesus. 300 denarii? Who cares? Two worths of money? Would it, would it have mattered how expensive? I don't think so. She saw the value of Jesus to worship Him and pour it out. It doesn't matter. He's valuable. He's worth it. Jesus finishes. Mark tells us of Jesus' account when He says in verse 9, he says, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory 
of her. Two quick thoughts on this last sentence of Jesus. Wherever it's told, be told in memory of her. I think there's a sense in which we're reading it in 2018. It came true. What has been told, what she did, is being proclaimed. We're reading it here some 2,000 years later of this account. But I also think there's, there's more to this. And here again, James Edwards says this by asking this question. He says, what exactly has she done to be worthy of such commemoration? He's saying she poured out this ointment, this expensive, yes, it was expensive. Is it worthy of everywhere the gospel's told? It's going to be proclaimed about her? What makes this so worthy of commemoration? Here's what he says. She has, of course, expended a lavish gift on Jesus. That's true. That's what we're looking at. But she also appears to be the first person to perceive that the gospel is realized only in suffering. The gospel is realized in suffering. What she's doing, this, even this ointment, this burial-type ointment here, I think there's something that she knows that some of the rest, some of the close-in do not know. If this is Mary, and I believe it is from John's account, we read of her in Luke 10.39 that she, she was one. Remember Martha was doing her cooking in the kitchen and Mary was out sitting and listening. She was at the feet of Jesus listening to him. I think she listened and she worshiped and I think Mary knew what was ahead. Maybe not all clear, but she knew and she had listened. She perceived this coming death and burial of Jesus to a much greater extent than the disciples sitting around this table. So she'd been listening at the feet of Jesus. She was in tune with the Master. I think here she's remembered through the generations wherever the Gospel is proclaimed she prepared the Lord for burial. By way of application and thinking through this account, some um, just kind of an overall theme to take home. Uh, spending your life to worship Jesus is never a waste. Spending your life to worship Jesus, it's never a waste. Here's what a waste is. Spending your life on anything in life that distracts you from seeing more of Jesus. That's probably going to look different for each of us because we all have our own distractions. I'm not saying give up, you know, don't be distracted towards, a, towards saving, towards a good retirement or towards a new boat or whatever it is, but I'm just saying the caution here is spending our life on anything that will distract us from seeing more of Jesus. For us, for our hearts, is there something worth more to you and me than knowing and learning and being in the presence of Jesus? Is there something more valuable that we say, well, I, yes, I'm, I follow Jesus, but this particular thing is very valuable. I'm working towards it. I'm going sp- to spend all I have on this thing. And I'm not saying we don't spend money on things, but do you hear what I'm saying? In our hearts, where is our heart at? How do we spend our lives to worship Jesus? How do we not waste them? I want to give four thoughts towards that. By no means just these, but it just came to mind of things. How do we not waste them? I know John Piper's got a book. I almost entitled this, but he's already wrote the book, Don't Waste Your Life. So I didn't retitle this message. Um, 
and these aren't from him, but uh, I try to think of four words, to put these in four words. Uh, one word would be look. So we're asking the question, how do we spend our lives not, not wasting them in worship of Jesus? Um, one would be to look, to do, to pour, and forsake. Those of you in notes, you can take them if you want, but to look, do, pour, and forsake. Number one, how do we spend our lives to worship Jesus, not wasting them? We look to Him as our one and only Savior. No church can save us. No new job, no good deed can save, but Christ alone. We worship Jesus when we see Him for who He is. He's the Redeemer and Purchaser of slaves in bondage to sin. And we look to Him. For salvation. Our encouragement is to cease trying to save yourself, to look for the gospel, look for a savior in your family or in relationships or in the new toy or in that vacation or in whatever it is, and look to the Savior Himself. Number two, we worship Jesus. We don't waste our life by doing what He says, by listening to His word with a heart ready to obey. Not just content to hear, but to do. Part of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 20 says, uh, Jesus calls us really to make disciples by how? By teaching them to obey, Jesus says, everything I've commanded you. Obedience to Jesus and what He's commanded is worship and it's not wasted obedience. Because we're worshiping by our obedience the One who is valuable, that we listen, we show His value by saying, your words are, are valuable. When you speak them, I will obey because you're valuable. So we do what he said. We look to him. We do what he says. Number three, we pour out our life. We'd be willing to be broken like this alabaster jar to break it open, spend whatever for the glory of God. Paul says this in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain to pour out your life to be broken for the glory of God we are having VBS this week through Thursday every night you may feel a bit poured out and a bit broken and you might see kids running all over the place and maybe a parent comes up to you and says why didn't you watch him more closely and all these things and you feel like was this a waste you're pouring it out this week. You say, I don't have five evenings. I'm tired already. All this. May it be a beautifully broken jar to say, I'll spend it all. That the gospel of Jesus, His value and worth might be shared with these children. It's not a waste. Our parenting, moms, dads, and your parenting, to be poured out for your kids to grow them in Christ. It's not a waste. caring for them at all hours of the night as we look forward to how many hours, <laughs> when those hours are. It's not a waste to grow them up in the Lord. That discipleship opportunity, God's brought that person along for you to speak truth into their life. And it's after work or you don't have time. It's not a waste. Work at church, it's not a waste doing it for the Lord. 
the neighbor that needs you to go talk to him at 11 o'clock at night. It's not a waste to go talk for the glory of God, to exalt Jesus, to proclaim his value and his worth. So pour out your life for him. It's not a waste. It's the best way to spend your life. Number four, just lastly, is to forsake. To forsake the mirage. Do I have it right? A mirage. You see those on the concrete in the summertime when the sun heats up the concrete and it kind of looks like a lake out there. It's just kind of, it's there, but it's not really real. To forsake the mirage of valuable treasure the world offers for the eternal treasure of Christ. Philippians 3, 7 through 8. I don't think we read this today, I don't believe, but it says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Paul says this, for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Many this morning got to sleep in on a Sunday morning. Perhaps they're having brunch right now. They're even maybe in more comfortable clothes by the lake somewhere, and you're here in worship. You're here in the service. It's not a waste. This is the best time spent. I'm not saying it's the only time of worship, right? We worship throughout the week. It's a way to spend your time wonderfully. Prayer meeting during the week on a Wednesday night. And we're praying. It's not a waste of time. Forsake valuable treasures the world offers to gain the eternal treasure of Christ. Be careful of our goals in America for right, the uh, pursuits of just wealth and getting to the end well. Pursue Christ. Pour out your life for Jesus. May we be like Paul that said, whatever gain, I count it as a loss compared to knowing Christ. We know him through his word. Be in his word to know him. Spending your life to worship Jesus is never a waste. Amen.